we said you start out getting fins and a dive tank, and then eventually you get the sea moth and the escal or actually not the sea moth, you get the little jet the little jet thing yeah yeah handheld thing <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a terrible job describing this it's a thing that you hold with two hands in front of you and it has a propeller on it yeah and it, it's a zoom zoom device <laughs> yeah zoom zooms you through the water um <laughs> welcome to pick up your sticks where we talk about why gaming matters with your hosts walker near and brett lindley i'm walker and this week we are diving into a conversation about subnautica and its recently released sequel subnautica below zero if you'd like to support Pick Up Your Sticks, you can always buy us a cup of coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi slash pod. So what's up, Brett? What's got you picking up your sticks this week? I beat Subnautica Below Zero, and it was awesome. amazing. Awesome. Yeah. So that's the expansion slash DLC. I don't know um, what the term is a, these days. It's a standalone title. God, somebody else had a really good term for it for like a standalone title that's basically a DLC, mm -hmm. but it's it's its own application. Like it doesn't require Subnautica to play, but it runs essentially the same engine with like some improvements and stuff. And it's in the same world in the same vein but it's its own game with its own like everything not everything but a lot of things are different so but it's a continuation of the story as yes, well it is so. a continuation of the story okay uh it happens a number of years i don't remember it's not like a hundred but it's like a few years after the 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 end of the first subnautica i see so uh and you know i'll i'll completely trust your judgment on spoilers and how far you do or don't want to go with that i don't know how relevant story spoilers are to the discussion but if they are great again I yeah don't care there may do. be some uh you know we'll see we'll see how far we get but they're very well to be some spoilers <laughs> fair enough um, I'll, I'll start with if you even kind of liked so the first subnautica or if you played it and like yeah but or if you haven't played it and you pick it up and you play it and you're like eh, it's kind of okay everything that the first one did wrong the second one improves upon and fixes in every way so it's it's a hundred percent worth it go by the go by the sequel even if you didn't beat the first one yeah so that's well, so that's, that's, that's my tldr <laughs> well that's where i wanted to start is you know we subnautica is a game that's been out for a while uh you played it in early access a few different times i think maybe yep. never actually played the official 1.0 release because it was i did no i did close. eventually okay. i didn't fully beat it legitimately i cheated the ending because i had played the game so many times and it had changed so many different times that by the time 1.0 came out the very last kind of mission is a tour of the entire game kind of all over again to collect a bunch of things and i didn't have enough of them to just complete it so i just like no i'm not i'm not going to spend five hours doing this so yeah. I just cheated in the the items I needed and then went to beat the game. So fair enough. Well, and so the reason I, I bring that up, though, I guess, is that so I've played the first Subnautica. I think I remember telling you where I like some story event that I'd seen and then you telling me that that was maybe the halfway mark. Again, it was a little fuzzy, mm -hmm. foggy mm -hmm. for me and you, I think, at that point. But um, um, I think I mean, if I remember correctly, it's the. So all all spoilers for the first one, because it's been out for a long while. If you haven't played it, stop listening, go play it, come back, finish the episode or or play a different episode in the background. while you're <laughs> um, 
but I think you were at the point just a little while after the sunbeam gets shot down by the yeah. laser. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, which is kind of the first point in time you realize that there is something there beyond just like animals, right? right. Like the biological, like that there is some intelligent life there. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I, I want to talk about, I, I, certainly I want to get into Blow Zero, and I know that's what yeah. you just beat, and that's the excitement or whatever. Um, so I don't mean to diminish that at all, but no, I think no. that it's important to explain what Subnautica is because the survival genre of games has become hugely popular in the last decade. Flooded, if you will. Right. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> that's, that's that's brutal. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but anyway, I think it's easy. I do it, right? I do this where it is so easy to see a survival game and be, be like, yep, I've played that already. Or, right. oh, I get it. I know roughly how it's going to work and and to my discredit again admitting i'm the one that says this it's probably wrong a lot of the times right yeah. i mean yeah there are some b quality games that are just derivatives right but there's probably a lot of them that i don't know that much about anyway subnautica fell into that camp for me where i thought oh it's just it's arc except you're underwater mm-hmm. right there's not maybe maybe not the same level of dinosaurs or whatever but right but it's the it. same kind of feeling yeah, and it's um, it's not that it's it, it shares some DNA certainly with survival right. open world exploration games, but it um, it goes in its own direction. It, it, this is going to not make sense. Maybe it's nothing like Valheim in any way, right, right? But it's like Valheim in that, despite looking like so many others, it is a wholly unique experience and it's correct, very well crafted experience well and 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 in fact i think it shared more dna before its 1.0 launch uh so Mm -hmm. the really early access of subnautica excuse me you could do terrain modification Mm. there was a there was a terrain gun Hmm. so you could suck up dirt and make holes and dig out caverns and build pillars and flatten land and stuff like that and that was all actually stripped from uh later early it was it was stripped medium late into early access and definitely gone from 1.0 you know i gotta say i i didn't know that and i'm actually really impressed by that yeah. um because it's so rare especially you know because subnautica it's not like it's made by bethesda right mm-hmm. it's so rare for especially a you know indie company for lack of a better term to make a game and promise features and then decide these aren't actually in service of our larger vision. Like we're going to actually take this back. I mean, now there are examples of that. Like I, and I, I I'm speculating here cause I haven't like read a bunch to confirm this, but my understanding is that like mass effect Andromeda, uh, kind of had that fate where it started out where they thought it was going to be procedurally generated worlds that you would mm-hmm. go explore and then just couldn't get it right. And, because it's a big publisher, they have strict deadlines. And so they kind of just halfway through development had to kind of start back over, which is why Andromeda shipped in such a bad way. Um, but anyway, I mean, so there's an example, assuming that that's true, of where maybe yeah, a developer pulls something out, but it's actually kind of detrimental, right? Whereas Subnautica, right. I don't think would be a better game if I could do terrain modification. No, and in fact, there's a, there's a number of, 
uh, items and there were some items that were pulled just because they didn't work as well as the team wanted them to. There was a, a dive reel was a really early item that you could get into the game, which I really wished. And I think they probably did, too. I can't speak for them, but I think they really want it was in the game for a long time and would have been great if it worked, but it just didn't where you like it would have like like maybe 100 meters worth of cable in it. And so when you're diving, you could staple the wall and then trail behind you a line of cable so that when you get lost in a cave and are running low on oxygen and need to beeline it back, you could just retrace your steps. But it had the unfortunate event of like clipping through walls. So it would show you a straight line, but that doesn't mean it would take you back the way you came. So it was just a straight line cable and didn't work out very well. But I think that they were trying to make things that worked. And I think they were, I think a lot of the fans actually were mad when the terrain gun was removed, I'm but sure. they, they did it about the same time that they did a full map rework. And they said, we've decided against procedural generation. We're going to go with a static map. We're taking away your terrain gun, but we're going to add in a story instead. And that was the big shift in development that I really appreciated. Yeah, it definitely has a narrative to it. Um, I mean, you said the the second one or the expansion, whatever, even more so than the first. Mm-hmm, very much so. But there's still a lot of story in the first one. I mean, in a game like Ark, there's technically a story and you can you can come across like codex entries and stuff that kind of fill out. But it's 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 largely much more Minecraft, right? right. Much more just you're in a, this world and just survive and play and whatever. Um well, before we get too far down the road of all the changes that have been made and, and all of this, let's just talk about what Subnautica is. So, yeah. Wh- so yeah, wh- what it, what is the premise of Subnautica? Wh- who are you as the player character? So you are a uh, corporate shill, we'll say, on a, a, a like a corporate spacecraft headed to a planet. Under the guise of, I think in the, so the story on the original, at least the the background stuff, I may be a little bit iffy on, but I think you're like supposed to be scouting it for like, they're, they're seeing if it'll host human life. They might build like a warp gate kind of thing nearby. So you're on this ex- exploration mission and uh, the game kind of opens with an explosion, something happening. You get in an escape pod uh, the ship is the main ship is going down, uh, and as the it's a first person view, and it very much so sets the stage of helplessness right out the gate, because you're in this escape pod, you're you're strapped in, you're holding on to railings, and you hit the atmosphere, and it gets all rocky and shaky, and a piece of metal inside this the escape pod comes free. And they do a great job of kind of zero gravitying it for a bit. And then you feel kind of the gravity take hold. It rockets around inside the escape pod for a few times, whacks you in the face, you black out and you come to in a burning escape pod or a busted escape pod anyway on an ocean planet. And you've got to figure out what's what to do, what's going on, how does you've got like a PDA that has kind of an AI in it that'll start directing you some. You've got a couple of emergency rations that'll last you like a day. And 
it is a hundred percent an alien ocean world. You know nothing. You have no idea what's going on, and you've just got to. You're the only one. You've got to figure it out. Yeah, I think the thing that that struck me um, probably most about the game is that it doesn't push you into combat. Like there really isn't mm-hmm. much in the way of combat, and so when you first get in the water, there's like some little fish around, and you do capture them and eat them or use them for other purposes like there's one that allows you to get more oxygen from right. it and that, that sort of stuff um but yeah like as soon as you encounter anything with any size like you, you're not getting a spear gun right like right you're not getting tools to fight with so to me it almost also um felt like I don't know. I, I started to say honest, but that's probably too strong of a word. <laughs> it just it, helplessness, as you described it, but it, it very much does a great job of making you feel like this tiny, insignificant, defenseless creature kind of the whole time. Like yeah. you get more vehicles and stuff, but again, you never get weapons. Whereas in a game right. like Ark, you definitely feel inferior to the T-Rex or even the Velociraptor the first time you see it. But once you have a gun, right, it's different. You know what I mean? Like, or once you can fly the dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, there there are different. a couple of almost weapons. There's like some stink bomb torpedoes. You get a knife. You can kill things, mm-hmm. but you have. I mean, it takes like five straight minutes of whacking at something with a knife to to kill it. Well, and, and it it's doesn't... not, and it'll respawn later, so it's not even really worth it. Like. And it doesn't give resources. Like if you just go yeah. out and knife a, a lar- one of the larger fish that aren't meant to be consumed that way, I guess you could say you're dealt with yeah. that way. Yeah, it turns into a corpse and floats to the bottom or whatever, but you're That's not, it. you can't farm, right? So yeah, it just literally exactly. doesn't encourage you to just go out and kill everything in sight. Well, like and I think that like, <laughs> like to, your, to your point on kind of, a, I guess, a sense of realism. Yeah. Like you're on a corporate research vessel. And you have like, yeah, sure, you have a nano fabricator thing, whatever. But if I was working for, I don't know, SpaceX or something, and they gave me a nano fabricator, they're not going to upload the blueprints to an M1A1 Abrams tank on it, right? Right. Like, here's a knife and maybe some some def- like less than lethal defensive tech that mm-hmm. you can, if you're really, really bad, things get that bad, then you can use, like, you can, like, you get stink torpedoes and vortex torpedoes, but those don't kill anything. They mm-hmm. just discourage things from attacking you. Right, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and so the way that, again, I've only played the original, but the way in that, at least, that you kind of progress is you kind of just explore around, and there are limitations, like, when you first start, you're just a guy, Mm-hmm. in a dive suit maybe but you don't have an oxygen tank or anything so right you can't be underwater for very long mm-hmm. so how far you can go is kind of limited or how deep you can go is limited but they do a good job then of sprinkling in technology blueprints basically in the area that you currently have access to um and then as you increase that technology so you get the the dive tank as i think mm-hmm. maybe the, one of the first things well, now you can swim a little farther. So now you can go a little bit farther in a safe direction. Right. And now there's new tech that you'll stumble upon. You can get there. fins to swim faster and right. bigger dive tanks. And 
yeah. eventually like like a a handheld kind of fan propulsion device, right? To kind of like a scuba jet ski sort of thing. Well, and it's interesting because almost every other survival game I've played, it's like you're unlocking things via like a, a, a tech tree of sorts, like mm-hmm. like an arc it's tied to your level. Right. And in, in Valheim, it's it's not necessarily in Valheim. You have to find an item like a rare, rare like a raw resource. Right. And or beat a, usually beat a boss. Right. But when you find the resource, it un, like once you find right. wood, now you see all the recipes that include Correct. that. Um, so I thought it was an interesting way for Subnautica to do it. I think that it feels um, again, maybe more immersive the way they do it, because mm-hmm because you're not picking things from a menu. Right. Um, however, I will say that it's it, it, again, I don't think it's wrong or worse and I'm glad they did it cause it's different, but it also did for me lead to some frustration because there were times where I didn't understand where I should be looking next. Right. And spent a long time kind of looking around. And then once I found where I was supposed to go, it was like, Oh, that was only 30 seconds away if I would have right. just went that way. Yep. I also have a problem of like always trying to jank the map in every game I play. So I, yes. I do it to myself. Yes. Is my I, so I experienced when, when we get a little bit more into below zero, I had that a lot less in below zero, but still had it to an extent, mostly because of my D&D brain which is like, can I get around this without doing what the game wants me to? <laughs> well, for me, it's MMOs. Like for me, hey, 17 minutes. Hey, there we um, go. But yeah, in MMOs, like there'll be like a, a house on a hill. And to get to that, you have to run like this really long path all the way around the hill that slowly winds up it. Or uh, you can maybe hop your way up <laughs> some mm-hmm. incline. And it's not intended that that's what you do, but it's like, eh, so I try that every time. It doesn't work a lot of times, but when it does, it Ooh, just reinforces so mm-hmm. that I am truly Lewis and Clark here in this <laughs> virtual world. Um, but anyway, I just, I think it's a really interesting design choice because like I said, it's different and, and it's a unique take. So I think it's cool. Um, it's not, it's not the perfect solution, right? No. Because you still can kind of just end up spinning your wheels, yeah. which then again serve to break the immersion for me because it's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do exactly. and I'm tired yeah. of doing the same thing, right? <laughs> yep. But, um, so I don't, I mean, again, you've played both of them far more. I haven't even ever played the second one, but far more than me, even in the first one. I don't know what else we should set up from the first one to lead into the second one, but. So, I mean, I guess, you know, kind of just go into full spoiler territory unless like we've talked, you've played a good chunk of the first one. It doesn't sound like you have a whole lot of intention in beating it. Like maybe you would like to, but it's more of a time sink issue or if you care. Oh, I don't care about spoilers. Right. Okay. So you get to the point where the sunbeam gets shot down, which is essentially a risk. So you find out that you're an only survivor. You get some radio logs from other uh, drop pods. They're all empty. Everybody's been eaten or is just gone. And uh, you, you're it. You go into the main ship is crashed in the distance and there's a big radiation leak. Their cores are exploding. So you have to like swim out and fix it. 
at least to like keep the cores from overheating and blowing up half the planet. And then there's a rescue ship that comes and the rescue ship comes and you go meet it and you go to this, an Island, one of the few spots where there's land and this giant alien space laser kind of manifests out of what just looked like a big cube building and blasts that thing out of the sky. So that's a huge moment in the game where like, not only are you alone, but you can't be rescued. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I thought I was probably like, I was like, Oh cool. Like, I guess this is how it winds down. And it's like the rescue ship comes and whatever. Cause again, there's no other real sign of intelligent life. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a couple of things like you find some vents on like in, on the ocean floor in certain places that are clearly not natural existing. Right. But there's otherwise just not really anything. And then, yeah, you come across this giant structure and it doesn't do anything. Like I ran around that structure for a long time, again, trying to jank my what Can I get into this thing somehow? Does it right. do anything? And it doesn't. And so I was like, huh, well, I guess whatever. And then, yeah, right after that, when the ship comes, that building transformer style turns into a Megatron gun and flashes <laughs> out of the sky. And it's like, oh, wow. Well, that's a problem. Um, but yeah, that's where I... <laughs> yeah, I realize so, that sounds like a suspenseful cliffhanger, and it is. It and that's is. where I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the Subnautica is not... Uh, so, I think it's Unknown Worlds. Um, it's not their first game. They've done a couple of other games, and uh, most all of them kind of all exist in the same universe, and Subnautica and Below Zero are no exception. Um their their biggest prior release was Natural Selection, which is a hybrid first person shooter RTS style game. It's really interesting, but it deals with this like Kara alien bacteria thing. I don't know a lot about Natural Selection. Um, I've watched some gameplay, but I haven't like played through it myself. But there's this bacterium that's like evil and mutates everything, like kind of like the flood from from Halo or something, right? And uh, in Subnautica. The whole premise is that planet is essentially been quarantined by an ancient alien race because there was Kara virus on it. So what happens after the sunbeam gets shot down is a little while later, I think you go underneath where the gun is and can kind of get in and see some of the alien tech and stuff. But you essentially look down at your hands and you're starting to get like sores, like green pustules on your arms. So it gives you this feeling of like an additional ticking timer and you like scan yourself and find out that you're infected. And there's kind of a giant alien tentacle hypodermic needle that will test you and say, yeah, no, you're infected until you're until the planet is cleansed of the virus. The gun will remain online and nothing can get within the planet. Um, So to leave, you've got to fix the planet. And that kind of kicks off the phase two of the story where you start finding more of these alien research buildings, figuring out what's going on, how to cure the virus, what to do, et cetera, et cetera. Find out that there were other people that had actually colonized the planet earlier, either the same corporation or a competing one. And, you know, narrowing down those clues, it's very much so... it's so interesting to have something have a linear story in a sandbox world. And I I think I really appreciate that. 
and and like that it allows you to spend the time to find the clues yourself, but it'll still mostly progress in a linear fashion. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you wouldn't you agree though that like Fallout is kind of that? Um I I think so. Yeah, I mean I suppose so. It, I guess it feels more like and I guess the the terminology for RPG is probably drawn out a little bit more, but I guess it's because it has more RPG elements, I guess it's expected. Whereas Subnautica doesn't really have as many, like there's no stats, there's no leveling. And so to see what is more of a true kind of Minecrafty sandbox where you feel like your basis is building a base, collecting resources, doing that, having a more intricate and in-depth story is where I feel like the uniqueness kind of came from. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you're right that the Fallout series is definitely, you know, or Skyrim or whatever. All of the Bethesda games are definitely RPGs. And you're right, Subnautica is not. I would almost call Subnautica like an adventure exploration title. Yeah, like it, it definitely rings, which, God, we still haven't done this episode. It rings to me like the DNA of the first Metroid Prime, mm. where while that was much more of a combat metroidvania uh it has some metroidvania vibes or some again not like real metroidvania but it shares that kind of dna where you unlock something that lets you explore further into the map yeah and just the level of exploration and scanning things and you learn about the world by literally interacting with it Mm -hmm. and you have a scanning tool and you scan something long enough and it'll tell you stuff about it and that's how you learn about the way you really feel like you're on an alien world that you know nothing. And as you scan stuff, you find out what's useful, not what's not. And even in the not useful stuff, it may have hints that point you in a direction like they're not necessary. But if you actually take the time to read it, you may be able to get a better idea that, oh, this plant is where these fish like to go. And these fish will lead you to the next thing that you need. And it's like, you don't need to read through that. But if you do, then you might get a push in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's a, that, that's a fair, a fair point. Um, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, like I said earlier, I think the way that they introduce, I think the way that they designed the game is, is, is wholly unique. Um, and, and yeah, while not without, potentially some issues, I think certainly more upside in the way they designed it than, right. than any downside. Um, so, yeah. 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 I, I feel like the, the other thing to be said is that it is a survival game, but really only for a little while because you get to a point where survival is take, you understand how to survive in the world and can do it with relative ease. Like if you know what you're doing, survival, like, I, I think suffocation is the most likely threat. But early when you're first playing through your my first playthrough, I died of thirst and hunger or not not hunger so much, but thirst I died of very quickly and on my subsequent playthroughs died by drowning more than anything. So, right. Yeah, no, I think that that's a fair point. And honestly, I think that like that's why I. I almost don't like comparing it to Minecraft because or and not even Minecraft I mean, Minecraft certainly because there's no terrain formation which mm-hmm. is kind of the entire premise of that 
And but even something like Ark, it's hard to compare it to because in all of these other survival style games that I've played, at least, including Don't Starve, another completely different yet in the same vein type of game, there is this constant necessity to hoard everything. And that's really what kind of, you know, I talked about like, oh, I spent a lot of time exploring and didn't know where to go. Right. But really, if I think about it, that happened, I'm sure. But probably really where I wasted the most time is making sure I have a chest full of oxygen fish Mm -hmm. and a chest full of water fish. And then eventually you get upgraded versions of that. But and and making this really elaborate base at the starting location of the game and having all of these filled chests and it. It, it just doesn't really it's not that kind of game like yes you can build a really intricate base and yeah. that's cool but it, it it's not demanded of you exactly right and and so i think that i was playing it though like i'm gonna fail if i don't set up this way and then when that wasn't true it was just kind of like i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> i definitely had even in even in playing the second one where i knew like i knew i had enough to survive like and and on long missions and and redundancies in place <laughs> i still had a 24 pack of the biggest waters in the game in a single chest like right just in case cuz you always need you know a couple extra you never know what's going to ha- how long i'm going to be gone never more than like a day or two even like, though entire game world also populated by ways to solve that problem right there, right right it's not like you have to sail or not sail, but whatever, <laughs> travel 10 minutes in a certain direction just to get the water fish. Like, yeah, it's everywhere or there. the oxygen or whatever there. I, I think, you know, at least to, to close out the first one, I think we're, we're remiss if we don't talk about the vehicles. So you eventually do you, you start out kind of with a base and with your bare minimum stuff, but you eventually get a small kind of miniature submersible and that changes the game because it can't dive as deep as you can like it'll in the beginning it gets you know kind of crunched pretty easily by pressure uh you can upgrade it later but it's an infinite source of oxygen so long as you power it so you can dive it down to like 100 meters get out yourself and dive another 100 and then come back to it instead of going all the way to the surface and it's much faster so you feel like you can go all over the map it has lights it has you know and then it's only re- and it's also not damaged by many of the small to medium sized predators that are around. Um, but then it like Subnautica is an un not entirely, but mostly unintentional horror game. There are horror elements. And I think most of that being the ocean is freaking scary. Like on Earth, the ocean is scary mm-hmm. and and an alien ocean is even scarier. And so the to threaten the sea moth, there are bigger things like hundred meter long Satan devil monster fish that will try to eat your ship. And the first time, like like Googling or YouTubing uh people's first reactions to getting attacked by the Reaper Leviathan, because it intentionally comes behind your ship. Like it protects its territory and it hunts from behind, which is what it says when you eventually try to scan it. And yeah, you'll just get snatched up and you may see a tail in the distance and like, I thought I saw something (laughs) and you've already gotten comfortable because the first giant monster fish you find is like a whale basically. 
a like alien whale thing so it's harmless so you mm-hmm. feel safe and and you feel like you've mastered like oh i have a vehicle now and then out of nowhere this thing with giant horn talon scythe claws is clamped on your ship with like 10 foot tall razor teeth trying to eat it and yeah it's freaky <laughs> yeah no that's 100 percent true uh it I will like I don't I haven't really played a lot of horror games, so I don't know what my reaction to with that to those would be. Um, I didn't personally find myself super terrified in Subnautica, but I get what you mean. There's definitely a sense of like a dark abyss and you don't know what might come out of it. And I did. I 100 percent jump scared the first time the the Reaper Leviathan came for me. So I don't mean to sound like I'm above that. I definitely also was. No, it's not like I I think it's it's a good towing of the line because I don't think it really is. It's not a horror game. Right. Right. But I think it is a suspenseful and immersive experience that includes the feeling of fear. Well, and I think that that ties back into what we talked about towards the beginning, which is that you don't become more formidable as an opponent to these creatures as you go. Again, in most games, you get upgraded weapons and armor and stats, right? A lot of these things have yeah. RPG elements, and none of that's here. So, like, yeah, your Seamoth is is a vehicle that you're in, so it's not you. But as the Reaper Leviathan demonstrates, like, you can still get messed up in that, and you don't have a way. You can't, like, hop out of that and jam it in the eye real quick and then right. get back in, like... Well, and it, it definitely feels like your progression is tied to your exploration. It's tied to your understanding and knowledge of the world. You can eventually get an electric defense matrix, but you still have to know where Reapers hunt, how, like, there's information. If you take the risk to scan them, you can get information on how they nest, how they hunt, where they're, if they're solitary, if they go in packs or whatever. And then you can use that to understand if I'm going to be going in these types of zones, oh, this looks like it might be a reaper area because it likes to nest in these types of biomes. So I should be on the lookout and have my you know, electric dispersion matrix active on my Seamoth so that if one comes, and I know they're going to come from behind, so I'm going to check behind every now and again or keep a wider field of view, kind of scan back and forth, and if I see one, I'll be ready to deal with the situation instead of I'm just going to shoot it with a rocket. Yeah. Honestly, the thing that creeped me out more than that, though, there's some mob that, like, teleports around Mm -hmm, as you mm -hmm. get deeper, and... That was actually the one that I was most like, I don't want to go near that thing. <laughs> teleport inside the boat. Like, I don't want that thing to come over here. Um, but yeah, and then and then eventually you get the, the Cyclops, which is an actual sub. Like, it's supposed to be crewed by three people, and you're just one. So it's kind of difficult, which I, I actually really appreciate that it's not multiplayer and has a vehicle that is fully intended to be crewed by three people. Because again, it's that it's that you're not mastering survival. You're making do with what you have. Right. Yeah. And so you're trying to crew a three person vessel by yourself and it's doable, but it's difficult. It's unwieldy. It doesn't fit in places greatly. You have to wiggle it around. You've got to put elements inside of it to make it work better so that you can manage it. You have to make it your own. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. And then there's also the the mech suit. I think it's mm-hmm. prawn. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. the prawn. 
Um, but yeah, that was super cool as well. Um, and you, so like you get they're like one of the base structures you get before you get the submarine is a vehicle bay, mm-hmm. which is really cool. You like, you, you know, you, you place it in the water or whatever, and then you, you, I keep saying swim, whatever <laughs> pilot you drive. Your, <laughs> I don't even, yeah. Um, pilot I'll go with you pilot yeah. your sea moth like underneath the vehicle bay and then like up into the center of it. And as you get close enough, it like triggers and then the bay automatically like grabs your sea moth and pulls it up and suspends it. And then you can get out and, and walk around. And and then the, the prawn suit can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. The Cyclops actually gets its own bay that will right. hold a vehicle like that. So you can take the Cyclops out and then from within that deploy one of the smaller vehicles and go yep. explore more. And yeah, definitely really cool uh, and really cool progression of those like we said you start out getting fins and a dive tank and then eventually you get the sea moth and the escal or actually not the sea moth you get the little jet the little jet thing yeah yeah handheld thing <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a terrible job describing this it's a thing that you hold with two hands in front of you and it has a propeller on it yeah and it, it's a zoom zoom device <laughs> yeah zoom zooms you through the water um <laughs> We're car guys. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) we we almost did a car podcast and then we decided video games. So it was that close. Um, But anyway, yeah, really cool progression up through the Cyclops where it feels like the culmination of all the other vehicles. Right. You know, well, and also I love that some of that instead of a sense of power, um, you get you still get that feeling of power progression through like the changes in the AIs, mm-hmm. right? Like your initial base AI is like very gentle, comforting kind of feminine voice. And then the sea moth is a little bit more intense. And then you get up to the prawn and the Cyclops and it's like almost a military captain, like AI that's and it's like, Oh, I feel like this AI knows more about what's <laughs> going on. You know? Yeah. So you said the second game takes place a few years after the ending of the first one. So walk us into that. So the first one, you eventually cure the virus uh, and get tested and the big giant transformer gun deactivates and you can build a rocket ship and you leave the planet. Mm. Um, and that's that's the end of the first game. It just zooms out and turns into Factorio, where you now have to get the rocket. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you just want every game to turn into Factorio. Correct. Yeah, I mean, yes. what a great mid game if nothing. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the second game, you're a different character. So this planet has been not colonized, but is now a research place, right? Because the Cara vaccine or Cara virus is something that's known about the vaccine is now kind of known about and it comes from this planet and so it it ties into this other game where now there's kind of military applications Mm. but your sister you play as a new character and your sister dies and you get a message from the corporation that's like yep she dead we don't know sorry and your character's like that's bull I don't believe you and I'm going to go find out for myself. So you kind of hire a, you know, catch a ride on the same kind of corporate vessel and plan on going down to the planet to figure out what happened, what really happened. And so in a similar fashion, your vessel, you have to drop down in a media meteor storm so that you don't get caught. 
and you get hit and you crash into like a polar area, a frozen wasteland and have to figure out what happened to your sister. Mm. And it has a similar kind of progression scheme where you are stuck in an alien world. You have very minimal supplies. You have to learn to survive. And it, it very much so plays out in a similar fashion. Like if you enjoyed Subnautica and want just more of the same, but better, that's what you're getting. Um, if you had issues with Subnautica, that you're like, gee, I didn't really like how the Cyclops worked because it was kind of unwieldy or you just felt like you got lost in the progression. Then below zero fixes a lot of that if you pay attention to it. And some of it is just fixed by default. But um, so but it's also all like there's very little. The only things that are the same are like the the water fish and like the first couple of food fish, mm-hmm. everything else. There's a lot more land. I mean, you start on land. Mm. It's all ice, though, and you have to worry about temperature. And so you have to find ways to you have to there's flora and fauna that can heat you up Uh, like coffee can heat you up. So like drinking Mm. coffee can make you warm. And there's a number of other ways to kind of mitigate that. It's not a huge, huge part of the game, but it is I'd say probably a third of the game takes place on land versus a couple of key moments from the first one. Mm. Um, And. But the difference, the the biggest difference is there are other characters. Um, There are other people on the planet and there's a lot more voice acting from the previous crew and your sister as you're unraveling the mystery of what happened. Mm. Hey, Walker, do you know our podcast is almost big enough to start selling ads? Yeah, I had noticed that. So what do you think? Should we go mattress company, VPN, some mobile game? Uh, I was kind of thinking maybe coffee. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some good free trade local. No, no, no. Like Ko-Fi, like donations. Oh, oh, right. So so we we do ads for Ko-Fi and for coffee. I mean, I guess that could work. But I was thinking that people could support the show with really small donations about the cost of a cup of coffee. And then we could skip talking. Talking about mattress companies or mobile games and just keep all of that content out of the show. Uh, they can just head over to our Ko-Fi page over at ko-fi.com slash pod and contribute to us there. Oh, I get it. So you're saying even if our listeners donated a single dollar over at ko-fi.com slash pod, it would go a long way towards funding the podcast. And in the future, we could even offer cool things like merch or rewards and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that's definitely one way that we can pay our bills, keep our mics hot and keep the show going. And if they can't donate, that's okay too let's just let him get back to enjoying the show so so yeah you said obviously it's called below zero and you said the land is all is all ice is there any non-ice land in the game or is it that the theme the whole time it's mostly the theme it it, it, i don't know if it explicitly states anywhere because i didn't get all of the logs in the game um but i'm not sure if it explicitly states that you're in a polar region but it it feels like you are Mm. um and I'm trying to think if there's any because like in the first one, there's kind of a, a couple of jungle islands, right? In this one, it's all mostly glaciers and there's there's different biomes. Even on the land, there's a lot more diversity as far as like there's purple alien trees that do this and there's green alien trees that do that and there's alien flowers that do, you know, and so there's there's a still a lot of variety and the amount of types of terrain, but it's all 
I don't think there was any land areas that I was at that I wasn't affected by freezing outside of like, oh, this plant, you know, puts off heat so you won't die from freezing around it. Are there alien penguins? Yes. Really? Yes. Nice. They are. There's actually a whole thing. There's also a. Uh, so your sister is a is a roboticist, like a robotics mm. science engineer, and she was studying the penguins and the other flora and fauna. Hmm. And you eventually get her penguin robot that mm. she developed. That because the creatures are aggressive, as everything in Subnautica is. Even the penguins are kind of aggressive if you try. They're, they're chill until you try to touch their babies. Uh-huh. And they then they freak out and attack you. And they're they're cute from afar, but do the weird alien like split in half thing and uh-huh. like <laughs> and like not cute anymore. Right. Like, oh, it's a chestburster. Kind of, yeah. So but <laughs> the, but all of the flora and fauna won't mess with the penguin creatures. So the penguin robot allows you to get into areas and and get things without freaking out the the. So fire. alien penguin holds the same position that lion does in the hierarchy of kind of yeah. Penguin. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> even the biggest critters won't mess with alien penguins. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, so yeah, still I assume also still no no. I mean again, technically yes, you can thrash at something with your knife, but not any emphasis on combat at all in this. Yeah, one. no, the same, you get the, the same uh, kinds of equipment throughout the progression. There's a bunch of new equipment that's way better, but as far as weapons, you still get access to the propulsion gun and stink torpedoes and Vorpex torpedoes and a knife. Hmm. And that's the, otherwise no cop The I think the penguin robot can self-destruct, but I don't know if that actually does enough damage to kill anything. I never tried it because it, it was a penguin robot. I'm not going to blow it up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> How could you? Yeah. Hmm. So, um, uh, yeah, I guess let's go to vehicles. What, yeah. what, what new vehicles are there in Below Zero? So the Seamoth and the Cyclops are now almost the same thing. Mm. So you now get access to the space truck, which is instead of it, like the Seamoth becomes the cabin vehicle of like, it's the same size as the Seamoth, but it's the cabin of the space truck and the Cyclops, instead of being a huge vessel with all these different bays that you put it and can modify the insides of you get trucker capsules. So you can get a sink, like you can make one or a whole bunch and make essentially a giant train. And so you can have a storage capsule, sleeping quarters, an aquarium, uh, a, a hookup point for the prawn suit, which can attach to the back. Um, and there's there's all these, I think there's half a dozen different modules that you can get. You can link them together in any order. And at any time you can leave the cockpit and walk through your giant truck or just turn to the left and pull an emergency button and it'll dump and disconnect all of the modules from the back. And now you've got tiny vessel that's much faster because it's not pulling all this stuff behind it. Huh? That's really cool. Yeah. So it kind of solves the problem of you can take all of your junk with you if you want to kind of nomad life it. And if you can't, if it's too much to fit into some crevice, you can disconnect it all and leave your base there. In the same way that in the first game, the Seamoth allowed you to leave 
the Seamoth at 100 meters and dive to 200 yourself, you can go down to 200 meters with all your, your base, basically, and then disconnect and go another 200 in the vehicle in just the, the cabin, and then jump out of that and dive another 200, and then, you know, go all the way back up and have, you know, your base and your inventory and stuff all kind of connected and then drive back to your big base where you have all of your storage and fabrication and whatnot. So it kind of adds an additional layer to that nested ability to kind of exploit resources and exert your influence on the world. Mm. Yeah, I got to say, this isn't really a great segue from what you just said, but I while we're while we've been talking this whole time, I've had the store page for Steam for Subnautica Below Zero pulled up and it's just cycling through the screenshots of the game. Right. And I got to I got to say, like, it is just striking how pretty of a game it is. Oh, like, yes. It reminds me and this isn't really a fair comparison because there's more going on in Subnautica than there is in in a lot of space games. But it's interesting how like like a space game can be like really captivating visually. And it's like there's really not anything going on. It's mm-hmm. like a black background with stars it's a skybox. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's not really that impressive, but it is for whatever reason. And it's the same thing. I mean, Subnautica, again, it has more because you're seeing plants and life and stuff all over the ocean floor um or on the ground and the second one more so but but at the end of the day you are still just in the ocean right like mm-hmm. it's just mostly water around you right. that doesn't do anything but I, yeah i don't know it's just such a aesthetically pleasing thing to see well they <laughs> yeah they so really good. nail they really nail the just like i they must have had some biologists <laughs> yeah. involved because biome transitions are smooth mm-hmm. and you don't really notice until you realize like, Oh, everything. I didn't realize everything was changing until everything is different. And this is a different ecological sphere. There's so many different kinds of plants. Some areas are lit up with bioluminescence. Others are pitch black. Like everything feels interconnected in the same way that like real earth you know, biomes are interconnected where some animals are pollinators and some are prey and some are herbivores and some plants may feed on things. Mm -hmm. There's symbiotic creatures that work together. There's, you know, parasites that may infect other things. And so it's, there's so much, I I don't want to say depth because of the pun, but there's really a lot of depth to, the, the the biomes in the game and and how immersive and beautiful and captivating it is it feels just familiar enough that like that could exist on earth but just alien enough not so alien that it's like oh this is never gonna happen but just a like you're not sure like could this exist on earth it it might this might be something that does exist and i just don't know because it looks and feels real yeah, well, and just a really vibrant uh, color palette, mm-hmm. like just really, really vibrant colors that just pop. Um, uh, and yeah, I just I it, I don't mean to, again, relate it to World of Warcraft. I know I know how insufferable <laughs> I am as a person um, it, in Burning Crusade, which I what I'm playing now and is the, the you know, the alien world of, of right. the game, right? 
it's my favorite because because of that same kind of thing and, and yeah looking at these screenshots it actually is subnautica is far better looking than world of warcraft to be clear but it reminds me of that same kind of vibe of just like i don't know just you just don't know what to expect like in minecraft love minecraft have seen some really cool vistas in minecraft at the end of the day though it's either like forest or mountains mm -hmm. pretty much what you're getting uh just in different arrangements right, right. but in, in a game like subnautica you just really don't know what to expect and it, you crest a hill underwater <laughs> and it's like right there's this vista that's just like wow well i think that i think the other thing too is that there's no you're mostly there is but when you're underwater there's not there's no horizon mm. so instead of just half the screen being beautiful with a skybox behind it you are literally surrounded by crystal caverns or alien plant life and in the same moment that a reaper leviathan is swimming in the distance and you're kind of like i don't want to mess with that you're there's while there is a threat there i still had moments of awe and beauty yeah. We're like, I know enough about how to deal with that threat that I can still take in how gorgeous my surroundings are and how unique and and every biome is not just a little different. They're hugely different. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this is a wow thing. Sorry. Uh, I didn't really ever think about zone transitions until I read an article. For, and this was 10 years ago when Cataclysm came out. Um, which was the expansion that redid the original version of, of WoW. Right. Azeroth. And it introduced flying. And they talked about how whenever they made the first World of Warcraft, zone transitions weren't that big of a deal because you there's only so many places that the player can, can cross that boundary, right. if you will. So it's really hard edges. But then once you introduce flying to it, now it looks really weird because it right. Just you can looks, see the edges. Yeah, it looks like a risk map or something. You know, even if I mean? they're ten feet wide, and when you're playing, that seems a lot longer and seems smooth on foot. But when you're flying overhead, ten feet is two pixels wide. So. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that's a really interesting point that you make about. I don't mean to go on about WoW in that way. Just that that was the first time I'd ever really even thought about that as a concept. And so it's interesting to hear you point it out here. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I think the aesthetic of Subnautica, the second one, I'm sure just looks better than the first one, but they do a great job with the aesthetic. Well, so that's another thing I want to ask you about that. We've talked about mechanically the designs, we've talked about the vehicles, the exploration, that sort of stuff. But something that you're always really big on that we haven't talked about yet is music. Mm -hmm. What's your opinion on the soundtrack of either game or both games? Or um, Both games are great. The It's mostly atmospheric stuff. Um, cause there's not like a combat music cause there's no really any combat, mm -hmm. but I have to say the second one is it, it was the most mind boggling time for me, especially when I realized it. Cause I worked on it for a while before I did it. There is a jukebox item mm -hmm. and you can find tapes of tracks, right? And I had a, a medium sized base going on and below zero. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. I do have to say how amusing it is that the premise of this world is that it's a spacefaring race that where you can hop, you can catch a ride to an alien world and ride down in a meteor storm and survive. Right. But we still listen to music on tapes. Anyway, I digress. I mean, they're like 
digital packs but i agree there's only one song on each of them and we can store like right Steve you, I've, got a, I've got a, i've got a i've got a, a handheld device that can build an entire house out of out of some scrap wads of titanium and stone right so i think we could put more than one song on a storage disc still but... on the eight track actually still on the right eight track. right so, anyway i just i think <laughs> no, no that's a good point i didn't think of <laughs> Some things are gameplay only. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so I so I found the jukebox and I found a couple of these tapes and I was like, my base is getting big enough. Like, I'm going to lean into this, right? I'm going to lean into having a base because in the original Subnautica, I really didn't. I built kind of bare minimum stuff just to survive. And in the new one, I'm like, you know what? They have bigger rooms available, like bigger building rooms and more building components. And I felt like I spent a, a good amount of time in the early game because I played the original picking what I felt like was I built my first base was just like an X piece with a, with a just to get oxygen. But I deconstructed that pretty quickly when I got like the moon pool for vehicles and whatnot. And I was like, I want to build my first base in as close to what I think the central area of this at least chunk of the game is going to be right and so I, I kind of guessed and found a halfway decent point and started building a bigger base and leaned into it. I was like, I want, I don't want it to just rush through the game. I'm going to make a cool base. I'm going to use some of these blueprints that I have. I'm going to put up posters on the walls. I'm going to put up a bed and office, you know, supplies. And the coffee maker has a use now. It makes you warm. So I'm going to have some coffee and, and why not? I'll put the jukebox in, right? So I build the jukebox and unlock the ability to build jukebox speakers that are like Bluetooth mm. wall speakers. And I'm like, well, I got to play with this. So the jukebox kind of makes noise from the jukebox and it has a certain radius that it goes and the speakers all connect to the same jukebox and you can have stereo sound. Mm. So I put the jukebox on one wall and a speaker on the other. I'm now in and it plays out in stereo and Subnautica is one of the few games that I will say is better played with headphones because of how 3d the sound is and how immersive the game is. Mm. So that just made it even, even more. I like, I'm excited. I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. Right. So I build, I build a bigger room that I'm like, I'm just going to have a giant glass walled bedroom and put a jukebox in there and a giant bed and put all my posters in there. And I'm just going to line the walls with speakers. Right but I need a lot more resources to do that. So I'm getting more resources and I get a track that has, it was in the original uh, version of the game and um, it, I, but I had forgotten about it mm. and uh, it, it made by a pretty prominent band. Uh, Miracle of sound created the song deep blue for the original Subnautica. Hmm. But I had forgotten that this had existed. I wasn't really paying attention that much. It's not a big part of the main game. It's like, I think maybe credit scene or just in advertisional, advertisional like promo stuff. But in the sequel, I found this tape and I was like, oh, what's this? And I plug it into the jukebox and it is just perfectly suited for the game. I mean, it's made for the game, right? But it's also a really good band, has great lyrics, has great atmosphere, has great sound. And I'm playing it on like four speakers in my giant bedroom. And I'm like, instantly flip into this is my base. <laughs> and 
I'm going, it's the only time like the, and I spent probably an additional five to 10 hours base building because of this track and the jukebox. <laughs> like, which is ridiculous. Like, it, like Minecraft has a jukebox and records. I don't think I've ever built one. Like, I just don't care. Right. But this was so immersed. Cause like I was feeling stressed. I was freaking out. My sister's dead on this planet. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. There's aliens. There's, you know, I, I guess I haven't gotten to the story too much, but there's like, you meet one of the ancient aliens. Hmm. And so the story is, is a twin story. There's like two converging plot lines and either one you follow will get you there, but you can either find, try to find your sister or follow the alien consciousness. Hmm. And either one of them will take you through different directions through the world and they'll eventually meet back up and get you to the end game. And so I'm like, I'm stressed out trying to do this. I've got so much going on. I need to relax. I'm going to listen to this great music and I'm going to build a, a comfortable place because I could be stuck here. And and I was just that's just me being 110 percent immersed in the game. See, this is where, again, we need games to combine into one another, because if you could build your jukebox base and then put on your VR helmet and play Electronauts in oh Subnautica. My oh, my God. <laughs> I just wouldn't leave. I would never find my sister. <laughs> right. Right. And then I'd again, never know what happened. The alien consciousness would be like, really? We uh you ever want to maybe why why do humans do this? And <laughs> it's funny though, there's there's so much more voice acting and there's so much more development. I, I hesitate to call it story, but development. There's questions about consciousness, there's questions about sleep and dreams. There's it it, it definitely explores how alien humans are. So in the first game, you're a human on an alien world. And in the second game, I would almost say you get to see the flip side of that, which is an alien in a human world. Mm. And and I really love that as a concept in sci-fi is that we experience things from a very mundane standpoint and having that lens zoom out and look at mundanity from the outside and, and being subjective about it and being like, what are dreams? Why do dreams happen? Why is music in, why does music influence us? You know? And like all of these things are kind of questioned as you unlock stuff in a very, it doesn't feel forced. It feels very natural that music isn't going to be questioned until you play a song on the jukebox. And when you do, it's like an Easter egg of like, you didn't have to build this. You didn't have to do this. But since you did, here is a story interaction that has no impact on the plot, but only furthers to deepen your immersion because you took the chance on deepening your own immersion by building the jukebox. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's different because to your point, there's a, a you know, an element of base building and, and decision making in that gameplay mechanic that goes into this. But I mean, it's kind of reminiscent to me and like, uh, at least Dragon Age Origins, I don't know about the ones after that, or Skyrim. There's just literal books you can find. Now, they're not yep. like 100-page novels. A few of them in Skyrim are. <laughs> if I you get all of the ones in the series for the one book. Yeah, but it's it, it, it's not... Either way, the point just being... The difference, though, is that in those, it's literally just a 
a static thing that you find right. the book and you can read it. There's no other gameplay. You know, you're not building a library to then get the books or something. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, like to your point about like, I don't, don't know if I'm comfortable calling it story. I think, I think it's called lore, but I don't. Yeah. Immersion. I, it, I think it works for immersion. Yeah. Agreed. But it's not really lore necessarily. Cause it's not like it's, explaining the history which is what i think of as lore it's it's more it's more just involving you in the present moment yeah and and there's multiple ways to experience that you don't have to build a big base to get that if you get the sleeping quarters attachment for the truck this the the sea truck it comes with a jukebox in it Mm. and so you can still get that same narrative moment and a bed so you can get the dreams moment and the music moment by being a nomad as well as being a base builder. Yeah. So I really appreciated that. It's really just if you choose to interact with the world you're in, which is most of the game. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like, yeah, I get bored. I would have the jukebox module on the C truck because I I don't really need to sleep a huge amount, but the music, having extra music is nice and right. it makes me feel less alone. <laughs> I would... <laughs> replay the the your you get several logs from your sister in the beginning of the game Mm. and i space them out i make sure not to listen to them all at once i only listen to them when i was in safe areas or at the end of a day i would listen to the next one Mm. because i wanted to conserve them and relive those memories slowly you know and i i felt very much so like i was this character trying to hold on to my sanity to get me through the next day. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, a, a word that you've used several times and that we've used a ton on this podcast is immersion. Um, and I think that for lack of a better way to say it, I think that like, there's a, I feel like role-playing is, is the right term, but it's also like, it's colloquially it's it's not really used the same way yeah it's it's like in you know when uh my childhood best friend and i used to play this strategy game called romance of the three kingdoms that is in many ways kind of like civilization without you did an episode on the walk show about that right i did yeah very early on um we did an episode about the new total war three kingdoms game which combines total war and three kingdoms anyway in in romance of the three kingdoms i mean it's it's again very much civilization where the game is largely there's a map and then there's a bunch of menus and you're making decisions within those menus but you're not right running around as a guy or putting on gear or any of that kind of stuff so on the one hand it's actually a very boring kind of game again it's just menus and text right but in unlike in civilization where there's not really a lot of characters like you build units and you build cities and buildings but there's not really a lot of characters outside of the world leaders Mm -hmm. in romance the three kingdoms every empire is made up of like a king and then multiple generals and every time you want to take any action you have to assign a general or your king or some some character to execute that action and so then they will say something like you have to ask them, hey, right. we need to go look for a new person to join our army and they will then tell you something about it. And it's I mean, it's canned, right? You see the same dialogue over and over again. It's, again, it's not some crazy thing. But what it did was it, it allowed us to feel like these characters had way more personality than they than they truly do. Right. Um, 
and so again it's like I, I don't know that it's fair to call it role playing because we're not we're not we're not playing D D. Right. In, but in you are ways. playing a role in a game. We're 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 definitely immersed in, in the role of of that. And that's right. that's what you're describing with this as well. And and I think any time that I can do that in a game, it I mean, that's it. Like it it's it's perfect. <laughs> There's so much more yeah, like below zero does like such a much better job of including that because there are there is there are multiple characters that you interact with in the world that are other people, other beings in mm -hmm. the world that you can go and see and interact with. There's not a lot of them, but there's a few. And then there is also the video logs, the voice logs and the, the like chat logs. Cause you get the PDA files in the original one that you can read. That's just lore, right? But the video logs, you can hit play on and then go do other stuff. So while you're exploring an area or waiting to warm back up or get your oxygen back or whatever, you can listen to a video log and they pair with the text logs so that if you read the text logs, you get more information about your sister is not alone on this planet. She's part of a corporate research facility where there's at least a dozen main characters that all do jobs in the area. There's, you know, there's the janitor guy, there's the mechanic, there's the researcher. She's the robotics person. There's a boss. There's an executive boss, right? There's other scientists and her trying to figure out her place, your sister's place in the world. Like there's kind of, Maybe I, I hesitate to say this because I don't want to turn you off from it, but like teeny tiny hints have gone home in Subnautica in the like exploration of someone else finding themselves in a world. Yeah. So, I, I mean, to be fair, I, my problem with Gone Home isn't that that is part of the game. It's that that's literally the entire the game. game. Right. Right. So, which, again, I don't even think it shouldn't exist. I just thought it was kind of boring. But right whatever that's my subjective opinion but as a background element in right. a more active game i yeah. found it very interesting yeah yeah no because I, I think gone home does a good job of that so honestly to say gone home is included in a larger thing i think is a compliment to that larger thing fair, fair um but yeah no that's that's super awesome well so there's at least one more story that i know i want you to tell and then maybe okay. you have more but right you'd mentioned it to me off air about um a like a I, a codex entry for lack of a better way to say it, but about a game that's played. Oh, in okay. Yeah. 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 There you that, go. That ties in, that ties in exactly to, to kind of what we're talking about. So there's, I found the codex entry first, which is like the text entry and it's, there's literally a full, probably maybe two or three page. If you were like a PDF kind of inclusion of what I would essentially kind of call among us, but, in the real world and played over the course of one or more weeks where, and, and it's among us meets um, the natural selection, which is their earlier game and natural selection Two, Right. Mm -hmm. So it takes the idea of natural selection Two and puts it into an among us style RPG that's played between people where one person is like the hive mind and then they have like two imposters and then everybody else are scientists. 
And then there's a like a kind of a GM for a DM for the other side of the scientists, like the lead researcher, right? And the hive mind and the lead researcher can talk to each other. The hive mind can talk to the imposters, and the GM can talk to the researchers, but only all within these like certain parameters. And the goal is for the researchers to find and defeat the hive mind and the hive mind tries to kill and eat all the researchers. Right. So you're basically trying to out the imposters and it's this whole, it's a fully fleshed live action RPG that you could play with your friends, like four to six players minimum, probably up to whatever. And, and you can meet every few days to discuss or have a set up a discord for what it includes all of the rules. And I was like, this is really cool because I found it first. I was like, this is awesome. This is a fun little Easter egg to like play among us, but in the real world. And later on, I found a voice log of all of the characters getting together to kind of have a team meeting. But the voice log is from most of the people arriving to the zoom meeting 10 minutes before it starts. Right. And so because they're all kind of bored waiting for the supervisor to show up, they're talking about playing the game together and who they think the imposter is and why, and other people saying, no, they can't be because this happened and they saved me from that. And they told me this. And there's, there's this little discussion that it's, it's fairly brief. So that if you haven't found that other log or, or read it, it's not a very big deal and you may not really recognize what's going on and it just sounds like idle chatter. But if you've read the if you've read the lore of the world, all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, who's the you can actually kind of play along like who you think the imposter is. Is mm. this person lying? Who's the hive mind? Like and and get an idea of these people. It's a small, like, I actually think it's about a six-person research team that is as bored as you are being stuck on an alien ice ocean world trying to fill their time. They created this game to play amongst themselves between team meetings and between research projects to keep themselves occupied. And again, it's just this level of immersion that makes it feel so real. If I had the same six work people that I had to work with all the time and I was stuck in an alien world with, and I didn't like two of them, of course I'm going to think one of them is the imposter, even if they're not, because I don't like them. And like that plays out in these, vo but, but with the addition of the voice logs makes it so much more real. Yeah. And well, other characters will even mention throughout it in their own voice logs who they think they're giving you a chunk of like, oh, I repaired this and I went to research in sector B12, which is like on the map. So you want to go there. But also, I think Darren is the imposter. So, I, yeah, the question I have to understand the level of Easter egg that this may be, is anyone referred to as sus at any point in time? In I don't think okay. so okay uh, maybe suspect like yeah. i suspect this person but yeah yeah, not yeah but sus. they would have to say x is sus in right, order for no, it to be a complete sus. among us non. <laughs> um it's very close to, it, you could see they were leaning on the idea of among us but merging it with their own game with the natural selection two where there's two teams that have like 
a commander on each side and then everybody else in first person mode. So what's crazy about Among Us is that it actually was out for like a year or two before it had massive right. popularity. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that they knew about Among Us <laughs> before it was this sensation. They're like, well, that's a really interesting, you know, it wasn't a successful game, but that's really interesting. Right, then, right. <laughs> I would love to any... hear, if the, I would love to hear the story on that one. <laughs> Maybe we can get the, un- yeah, we'll have to get some people on Dude, the show. I'm, yeah. I'm game. I'm game for trying. So <laughs> if anyone listening knows the unwords, unknown world entertainment people, send them our way. <laughs> yeah, we need, we need their head writer. No. <laughs> We'll chase them around on our own, but you know, you can help. Yeah. You can yeah. help. H- hook us up. Hook us up, peeps. <laughs> Six steps to Kevin Bacon. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, is there, you know, we, I, I feel like we've covered quite a bit. Um, we mm-hmm. covered the first game. We've covered how it kind of plays, the setting, um, a lot of the immersive qualities of it. Is there something else that we haven't touched on yet that you'd like to? Um, so there's actually a music track that samples a voice actor from, so in, in Below Zero, there is a music track that I found that samples a, a prominent voice actor, um, saying some shady stuff. Okay. And I thought was, could be a foreshadowing or mm. even possibly that I had discovered something that I wasn't supposed to yet right Mm -hmm. like is this from the end credits or something and the amount of suspense that that gave me (laughs) in trying to and again trying to hop out of the bounds of the game i i won't spoil anything but was a lot i Mm -hmm. i actually didn't play that track too much because i worried i was worried that i was spoiling something later oh wow yeah um i do gotta jump back though and say in the vein of trying to hop out of bounds and get to places you're not supposed to. One, I beat below zero in probably about 30 hours. And again, probably a good five or so of those are five to 10 in base building and just letting myself be immersed, which I think was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I've missed an entire, not huge, but not insignificant location, at least in the game. Hmm. Um, I think some of that was because I played the original and leveraged the pawn, the prawn suit in ways that it probably wasn't intended to be used, hmm. uh, but I didn't know any better and kind of skipped over a whole vehicle in the game. There's a, there's a, an additional vehicle that I haven't talked about. That seems pretty fun and several other items slash game mechanics that I didn't need to use because I went for the prawn suit. And because I did that, I, I kind of hopped over an entire little, uh, not a huge chunk, not a huge. I know it's not huge, but a small chunk of the game that I d- just never went back and, and, and got um, it. It does a good job. I think, so below zero gives you access to some maps, which are nice, like actual, just legit. Here's a data map. And instead of forcing, you were kind of bothered by not knowing where to go to get the next thing. There's like four areas that you can access from the beginning that all at least get you something. Some of them have further exploration that can be done later. 
Some of them are just little one-shot areas. And if you don't have a blueprint for something that you should, by the time you get to an area, you can find a data module that just has all of the pieces of the blueprint in it instead of having to scan it. So Mm. they do a really good job of ensuring that if you don't have it by now, if you're exploring the area, you'll get what you need. Um, So there's more than one way to get it. And if you feel like you're lagging behind, you can go to one of these other areas on the map because you have a a map that says, hey, these are the four most important locations when you get here. So check them out eventually. And my problem was, is I didn't check one of them out for a long time. And by the time I got there, I was so advanced that I blew through a chunk of it. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, meat on the bone, if you will, mm-hmm. to the game. Um, well, I mean, I think it's pretty evident that, you know, you would give the... Uh, we don't really do reviews or scores here, but you would definitely suggest that people go and play both of these titles. Yeah, I would say e- even if you get bored halfway through Subnautica or don't like it because of some of the jankiness that's there... Literally, absolutely every single complaint that I had in the first game is addressed in the second and in subtle ways that are not ham-fisted. Like, we're fixing this problem. It's logical solutions that definitely feel like they were done through community feedback. I did not play Below Zero in early access because of how many times I played through the original and how much it had changed. I was like, I want the full story. I want the full campaign mode. I will wait for 1.0. And it is, I'm so glad I did. It was very hard to do because I love the original, Mm -hmm. but I'm so very glad that I did because it is a complete experience that's maybe between 15 and 30 hours long, depending on if you speed race things. Um, The regular Subnautica is good. I don't think it is to be sidelined. I liked it. I think that there are definite nods to the story, including the very end of the story of Subnautica is referenced multiple times, but below zero is by and far what I believe unknown worlds was trying to make in Subnautica, but couldn't afford to do or didn't know how to do at the time that now that they have the experience of that under their belt was able to capitalize on and just magnify a thousandfold into a very complete emotion, like at times emotional at times curious and explorative and at others just fun. And, and, and there's still moments of horror. I think there are probably a a few less of them. Um, Maybe that's just because I know how to handle situations better from Subnautica. Um, But and there's a lot of ways to die. <laughs> there's so many ways to die. Yeah. But it's not like I didn't find myself dying a lot. Yeah. And when I died more often than not, you don't lose a lot of progression. You only basically lose if you had collected a couple of rare resources and didn't get back to your ship to autosave. You might lose those. I've heard on PlayStation and Xbox, the autosave is there's complaints about autosave on PC. I didn't really have any problem. Um, but I think I saw a PlayStation review that complained about it not working and losing like four hours of progress. I was, it auto saved every time I went into a building or a ship. So I would only lose that much time. Right. Yeah. It kind of reminds me, I mean, obviously wildly different games, 
but in the way that Doom 2016 came out and made an excellent game, mm-hmm. and then Doom Eternal is literally just more of that and better. Yes. It, it's the same. Whereas, like, you know, you and I had pretty high praise for Borderlands 3 when it came out. Right. Which I think speaks to um, how much fun it is to play Borderlands 3, which I yeah. still stand by. Agreed. And I think that gameplay-wise, Borderlands 3 is more of what Borderlands 2 offered and, and, and better in a lot of ways. Um, the writing in Borderlands 3, though, is not as good as the writing in Correct. Borderlands 2. So Correct. it takes a hit in that department. Um, but it sounds like similar again to the Doom, the recent <laughs> Doom series. Yeah. Uh, Subnautica also doesn't really have a place that it falters in its sequel. It literally just gets better yeah. across the board. And and I, I have to say that at the ending of Subnautica Below Zero, I hesitate to call it Subnautica 2, I hope and pray that they do the direct sequel to Below Zero because it feels like they have the opportunity to take the genre in a direction that I haven't seen it go before. And... I am all about it. Is it? Does it turn into Factorio? It might. <laughs> <laughs> if that'll get you to play it. No. <laughs> um, hey, Walker, well, if you spend 30 hours in this game, it turns into Factorio, I promise. <laughs> um, so, you know, you've probably answered this largely in, in the things that you've said, certainly most recently here. But but I, you know, I want to ask, as, as we always do. Um, why would you say Subnautica matters? I think both games leverage something which, again, in, in all of my various gameplays, in D&D and in video games, everywhere else that I've that I've experienced gaming, I think is probably one of, it, it's probably the most difficult to pull off well. And for me, one of the most satisfying things when it is done well is by and large, there are many elements to both games, but they are about exploration. And some people have called the Subnautica's wiki games uh, to find out what to do next. The first one, probably more so than the second. The second one helps. They know how to guide the player better through that, that sandbox world. But the second one, I only wikied I think literally two things. And I think one of them was I did have, I had a bug where my sub got stuck inside of a mountain while I was out exploring said mountain and I had to no clip inside of it. And so I had to cheat. So that was one thing that I wicked. Um, And the other was if I need, like I, I was worried that I was supposed to have an item that I didn't because a lot of recipes called for it and I didn't know where to find it. Um, but outside of those two things, I could say that you could play through Below Zero without wikiing at all. And, ha- and and I largely did. I didn't look for biomes. I didn't look for anything. The first one, a little bit more wiki game, but I feel like calling them wiki games undercuts what they are, which is immersion exploration narratives and... I don't know if it's just that nobody else has really tried to make underwater games, but the underwater aspect changes things 
in so many ways that it, you're right. It's not an arc. It's not a Minecraft. It's not any, it's not like it's not a no man's sky. No man's sky tries to do the scan stuff, have an alien exploration game. And I feel like it kind of falls flat on that side of it. Everything else can be cool, but I think that that Subnautica and Below Zero really leverage on your power comes from your understanding. You as a person understanding the world makes you more powerful. Mm. And that is so hard to pull off without stats, skill points, level progression, anything like you get blueprints. Yes, there's progression kind of tied to that. Not even really, though. In some in some places, yes, you have to eventually get an oxygen tank, but but it's not gated wholly behind it. And I think more of it is just the more you understand in the world, the better you can survive in it and then thrive in it and then exploit it and learn what resources do you need, how to best get them, build a scanner room, have a command center. Like there are advantages to having a base. There are advantages to being a nomad both of them are are open styles or you can have i had multiple different configurations of pods outside of my base that i would take on different missions and you don't have to do that but i did because that's how i i wanted to play mm-hmm. and i just feel like exploration games that make you want to read the lore like so much lore is garbage or just filler but when you have something that's like, yeah, but if I read this data entry, I might actually know what to do. And mm-hmm. not because the game tells me to go to coordinate B12, but because the game tells me that, oh, oxygen fish like fan plants. So if I see fan plants, I know there's probably going to be oxygen fish nearby. So I'm going to risk diving deeper. And if anything, it 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 balances that risk reward scenario where you feel just comfortable enough to take a deeper risk. And sometimes you die and you learn what that's like. And sometimes you slap your emergency inflatable, you know, life's preserver and get to the surface right as you're blacking out. And then hallelujah, because you've got a rare resource that you got from so deep that you didn't think you were going to make it, but now you have it and now you can do something with it. And, but it's all you it's not because you found a better pair of blue pants that make your character better. It's literally you knowing how deep you can dive, how far you can push your character, and your character doesn't really change. So I think that that's so incredibly awesome to put into a game and to find a way to build an entire game around that, ah, I just, I love it. I love it. So that's all for our episode today. If you like this episode, consider going and buying us a cup of coffee over at a Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi.com slash P-U-I-S-Pod. Or you can just tell a friend about us because word of mouth advertising really makes a difference and helps keep our show alive. All of the links and our social accounts are available in the show notes. And if you want to hear more from either of us on topics outside of gaming, Walker's podcast, The Walk Show, talks about the walk of life while interviewing various guests, and my podcast, Dungeons & Dinners, is where the love of fantasy is food for thought. 